Hi, today we're reading 1 Samuel, chapter 25, beginning on page 251. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, so he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are turning away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your swords. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife. David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisin and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, Go on ahead. I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her and she met them. David had just said... It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. 
He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord had sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to your, my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of avenging himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel and they were both his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who was from Galem. Hi everyone, welcome to church. If I haven't met you, my name is Andrew. I am the pastor of the service, one of the assistant pastors at the Bridge Church, and I want to particularly welcome you if you're visiting with us or newish to our family here. We hope you feel loved. We hope you feel uh, connected with others. And most importantly, we hope that God ministers into your heart and soul 
this afternoon. Let's pray. Keep your Bibles open at 1 Samuel 25, and we'll look at it in just a moment's time. Lord, you are good all the time. You are good. As we come off a week, which for some of us has been a great week, for others of us has been a week of sorrow or, or suffering or pain, we know you are always good, and we know your word is good. Uh, it is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path, and so we pray that your spirit will be taking these words and pressing it into our hearts, changing us and growing us. And we pray this for your sake alone. Amen. Well, there's um, a long tradition in movies and TV sitcoms where there's a married couple and the husband is a bit of a dropkick. The husband is lazy, thoughtless, uh, insensitive, but he's married to a woman who is smart, intelligent, and responsible. You know the kind of marriages I'm talking about? You see them less in recent years, but certainly 10 or so years ago, you saw it over and over again. You think of Homer Simpson. What does he do all day? Sits on the couch, drinks duff beer, um, eats cheesels. He's good for nothing. He's lazy, but he's married to Marge, who does all the responsibility in the home, it seems. Or um, everybody loves Raymond. Any fans of... I know, I know it disappeared off the TV screens a while ago, but you know, you've got Ray, who is, who is lazy, he's thoughtless, um, and his wife's the one who is the responsible and smart one. And the sad thing about these TV shows is um, we kind of let the husbands off the hook because they're the funny ones, but they're actually pathetic in these shows, aren't they? They're absolutely pathetic. And you look at these married couples and you think, how on earth did he end up with someone as good as her? And I think that's kind of what we see in the married couple of this chapter today. It's a married couple you'd expect to see in Jerry Springer or in marriage therapy or something like that. But here it is, it's in the Bible, Nabal and Abigail. Nabal and Abigail. Nabal. Let's get to know Nabal. His name in Hebrew means fool. It means fool. He's a bit of a dropkick. <laughs> he's a bit of an idiot. That's Nabal. Uh, we see that he's really wealthy. He's got lots of sheep. He's got lots of goats. In fact, we learn about his wealth before we even learn his name. So I think this guy, his identity is built on his wealth. His worth he builds on his wealth. And it's just worth pointing out that to love wealth is foolish. Jesus says it. To love our stuff, to build our identity and our worth on our wealth, it is foolish. Nabal is a fool. Not just that, he's a fool because he's, what well, says verse 3, he's surly and mean in his dealings. He's harsh. He's evil. We can see further in the, later in the passage, he's wicked. And he's irresponsible. And he's just stupid. That's Nabal, the fool. Now, Nabal is really punching above his weight. Because <laughs> look who he's married to. 
Abigail. She is intelligent. She is beautiful. And as we're about to see in the story, she's actually very godly. Abigail loves God. Abigail has a deep faith and trust in God's promises and what God is doing through his King David. How on earth did someone like Nabal end up with her? And so before we get into the story, I just want to make two little quick side points. They're just side points. Firstly, to the Abigails in the room. To those of you in the room who may be looking for a marriage partner, don't settle for a Nabal. Don't settle for a Nabal. You may meet someone who is very wealthy or perhaps very good looking or whatever it might be. Uh, By the way, I'm talking to the women as well as the men in the room. You may meet someone who's very wealthy, but, but actually what matters is their godliness. Don't marry. Don't settle for a Nabal. And another side point to the Nabals in the room. Uh, it is so tempting for men to be lazy in the home, uh, lazy in the marriage, and actually even spiritually to coast along, to, to rely on their wives to, 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 to work on their faith and to, to, to grow their family and godliness to rely on their wife's reputation in church. You know, the, their wife is the one that's serving in church and involved in ministry and to just feel like they can coast along. At the risk of sounding a bit like Mark Driscoll, <laughs> step up, men. Love your wives. Fulfill your marriage vows. And this, of course, applies to women as well. Love your husbands. If you're A bit like Nabal in the room, repent, serve and love your wife. Don't be a fool. Well, they're just side points. Let's keep going with the actual story. There's Nabal, there's Abigail, and David, the future king of Israel. He is on the run. He's on the run from Saul. Saul wants to take his life, and David, you've got to remember, he's got about 400 or so soldiers traveling with him. And so eventually, after a while, he needs supplies, food, uh, all kinds of other supplies. And he knows about Nabal. Now, we don't really know the details, but what we can pick up from this chapter is he's had dealings with Nabal before. What he had done was in some way protected Nabal before, uh, looked after Nabal's cattle and, and livestock. So Nabal actually owed him one in a way. And so he sends some men, some servants, to Nabal to ask for supplies. And it's not like he holds a gun to Nabal's head and says, you know, give me me food or else. The way he asks is humble, it's gentle, it's honorable. But look how Nabal responds. Look down at verse 10. 1 Samuel 25, verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Can you believe this guy? It really is a bit of a dropkick, isn't he? 
Look at the disrespect he treats David with. I mean, he, he does know who David is. He knows who David is. He knows he's the son of Jesse. And so when he says, who is this David? I mean, he's mocking. He's disrespecting. And did you notice his love of his wealth? Verse 11, the word my keeps coming up. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? He loves his wealth. He loves his stuff so much that he's... I mean, that's what happens. When you love wealth, when you love money, and your heart gets hard. And when opportunities come to be generous, you say, well, no, it's mine. Why should I give mine? I earned this. This is mine. This is my money. That's what happens when you make money or property or wealth an idol. Your heart gets hard to the needs of others around you. And that's Nabal. He's a fool. But you know what's most foolish about what Nabal's doing? This is God's future king he's disrespecting. I mean, I reckon everyone would have known who David was. Everyone would have known this is the one God has anointed. And Nabal's there saying, stuff you, who are you? I mean, there's nothing more foolish than rejecting God's anointed king. Do you believe that, 4 p.m.? Because when it comes to Jesus Christ, God's perfect king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, there is nothing more foolish than rejecting Jesus. Isn't that true? All of us have done it. By default, every one of us has said to Jesus, Jesus, who are you? I don't want you ruling over my life. It's my life. It's my stuff. It's my time. I want to call the shots. That's sin, isn't it? All of us have done it. Part of becoming a Christian is realizing we've been wearing our own crowns. And part of becoming a Christian is saying, Jesus, I want to take the crown off my head. I want to give it to you to put it in its rightful place. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. You are the king. You are the one that I serve and love. And to do that is the best decision you'll ever make. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian... Can I, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Can I encourage you, plead with you to keep exploring who Jesus is, investigate, talk to people, research. Following Jesus, I think, is the best decision you will ever make. He is the one who should be king over your life. I truly believe that to, to reject him is foolish. It's foolish. That's what Nabal does to David. Who is this David? You know, Psalm chapter 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's the most foolish thing you can do to say to God, Who are you? I don't want anything to do with you. Well, it doesn't end well for Nabal, because how does David want to respond? He wants revenge. 
He wants to settle the score. His anger is raging. He wants bloodshed. He tells all of his men to get the swords, get on their horses. Let's go kill all the men in the Baal's household. I mean, yes, he's God's anointed king, but that doesn't mean he's perfect. This is sinful. This is sinful. Think of the book of James that says, be slow to anger. David's not doing that, is he? This is not slow to anger. This is a desire for revenge. This is a desire for payback. It's not how he should be acting. But then Abigail gets involved. The beautiful, intelligent, wise Abigail. Her servant comes up to her, tells her about David, tells her about how David had been so kind to Nabal and protected Nabal, tells her about how stupid Nabal's been and how much of an idiot he is. And what does Abigail do? She immediately hurries to get ready and fix the problem, fix the mess that her good-for-nothing husband has put her in. Now, it's just worth pointing out, A wife is never called to submit to a husband that is going to lead her or others into harm. A, a wife is, and same with a husband, is never called to submit to a wife who's going to lead him or others into harm. Abigail, she, she acts against her husband here. She doesn't, she doesn't tell Nabal what she's doing. She she acts to, to stop Nabal's plans in his tracks and to she doesn't but that's commendable here that's commendable here she takes things into her own hand because she wants to make sure that Nabal and Nabal's household does not fall into harm and that God's king is honoured and that is the right thing to do isn't it? it's the right thing to do and so she takes matters into her own hands. She travels to see David. And I want you to notice a few things about Abigail here. Firstly, her courage. She's so courageous. She's so courageous. She sees David and 400 men armed traveling towards her. I tell you, I would have freaked out. She's just on a donkey. <laughs> but she keeps riding towards him. Incredible courage. Notice her humility. When David comes towards her, what does she do? She gets down, bows herself to the ground and acknowledges who David is. It's humility. Notice her confession. Verse 24, she says, Pardon your servant, my Lord. She asks for forgiveness. It's a husband that's got them into this mess. It's her husband that's to blame. But she, in a way, almost takes her husband's sin on her own shoulders and asks for forgiveness on his behalf. And notice her confidence. This is the most important thing. Have a look at verse 29. Verse 29, it says this. Even though, some, this is what Abigail says, verse 29, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. 
but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. See, what does Abigail show here? Abigail recognizes this is God's king. She recognizes that this is God's anointed king, and she has great faith and trust that God is going to fulfill his purposes through this king, that God is going to establish a dynasty through this king, that God is fighting this king's battles. And so in this great faith and trust, she pleads that David will not have the sin of bloodshed on his hands that David will not have needless bloodshed or avenge himself. And she pleads that because she trusts God and what God is doing through this king, the one he has chosen. Abigail has great courage, great humility, great faith and confidence. What an amazing woman. And she's successful. Because sure enough, David relents, he turns back, and Abigail walks back to the house and she finds Nabal there, drunk, eating food as though he's a king, which is ironic because he's actually rejected the one who is the future king, David, and he's got no clue what his amazing wife's just done. It's a crazy story. I want us to notice two things about God from this story. Every time we read the Old Testament, we need to be asking, what does this passage tell me about God? And what does this passage tell me about myself? And so what does this passage tell us about God? We've noticed a bunch of things already, haven't we, as we've looked through the story, but I just want to highlight two things. Firstly, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I love the way Tam put it before. What was it? That God is the God of the small things, the little things? He is. He is the God of the little things and the big things. He is sovereign over everything. He's working all things together. Some people think God is like a watchmaker. You know, the old school watchmakers, they, 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 make, they make the watch, they wind it up, and then just step back and watch. As though God made the world, and then now is just stepping back and watching. But no, the Bible actually says God made the world and is still intricately involved. He is still at work holding all things together. It's the cliched illustration of our life being like a tapestry where you, know, you look behind a tapestry and you just see all the weaves and it's a bit of a mess. But on the other side, you see how the artist is weaving together a masterpiece. And in our lives, sometimes we don't know what is happening and what, what direction things are going, and we can't see what God is doing, but He is sovereign over all things. And even if we don't understand what picture He's making, He, he knows what He's doing. And I think that's what we see here in this story. Because God is at work sovereignly in all things using Abigail using Abigail to keep David from doing something very, very stupid 
and committing needless violence. One writer said that Abigail is the Lord's stop sign, mercifully placed in David's path. God is using Abigail as a stop sign. Was it Abigail that stopped David? Yes. Was it God that stopped David? Yes. Because God is using him. You know, sometimes God uses people in your life to stop you from doing something stupid. (laughs) Anyone experienced that before? God places people in your life to stop you from doing something stupid or sinful. I can think of many times in my life when I've been facing a decision that I've had to make and God has placed me in a conversation with the exact right person that I needed to talk to who said the exact right thing I needed to hear. You experienced that before? Sometimes it's a word of encouragement that I needed to hear. I didn't realize it. Or a word of challenge that I needed to hear. God does it all the time. God loves to speak to us through his people. If you're facing a decision in life, uh, the first place you go is the Bible. If, If that decision goes against God's word, you must not do it. But one of the best next places to go is God's people. Find two or three people who know you well, who are wise, godly, and ask them what you should do. And if those people who know you, love you, are saying to you, oh, I, don't, I don't think you should really be doing this, Andrew. I'm not sure if that's a wise choice or I'm not sure if that's a godly choice. If that's what they're saying, you, you would be a fool to not listen to them. God often works through his people to, to keep us from sin, to keep us in the path of God. And when that does happen and a, a godly brother or sister challenges you or whatever it might be, how, how are you going to respond? So often we want to be defensive, don't we? Who are you to tell me how to live? I mean, you think you've got it all together? We, we get all proud and defensive. But actually, shouldn't we be teachable? Shouldn't we be humble and ready to grow? Maybe God wants to use you as an Abigail. Maybe God has been nudging you to speak into someone's life, a Christian's life, whether it's to encourage them or maybe to warn them or rebuke them in love, in humility, based on the Word of God, but like Abigail, warning them about sin or danger. Praise God for his sovereignty. He uses all things. He uses Abigail here. Yes, Abigail, we've got to praise her. She was incredible. But God was the one who used her. And you can see that in verse 32. Look at verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. 
Praise be to God. God's done it. God stopped me. And you've done it, Abigail. God has used Abigail. The second thing I want you to notice about God from this story, firstly, is the sovereignty of God. The secondly is the justice of God. The justice of God. I'm sure you can relate to the feeling when you're wronged, when someone's hurt you or wronged you. Instinctively, often, we, we just want revenge. We're angry. We, we want the score to be settled. We want payback. We want justice. And I want to be honest, in, my, in our last two weeks, in the last two weeks, my family has been wronged. I'm happy to talk about it after church. It's not in any major way, but we have been wronged. And I want to be honest, there's been plenty of times the last two weeks I have wanted payback, where I have thought and replayed in my mind what I could do to get revenge, to settle the score. And I mean, talk about the God of who's sovereign and uses all things. I don't think it's a coincidence that God had me preaching on this passage. Because as I've been reading this passage the last two weeks, I've been saying to God, God, this is exactly what I've needed to read. Because there's David. He wants payback. Straight away, he gets everyone to put on their sword. He wants to kill them all. But Abigail knows something. She's wise, isn't she? She knows vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance, justice, belongs to the Lord. I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Can you do that? Romans chapter 12. Anyone got a page number they can yell out for me? Nine, 9.35. I think, that, I think that's what I heard. 9.75, great. Sorry, I got a different Bible here. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 17. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And sure enough, how does the story end? God is the final say. God, 10 days later, strikes Nabal dead. And I've got to say, this has really ministered to me the last few weeks. Because, yes, it's so hard. We want revenge. We want justice. And to wait for God to bring revenge and justice normally involves waiting for Jesus to come back. And that requires patience. David just wanted justice now. It is hard. It takes faith. It takes trust. But church, you know, it's, it's actually very comforting 
It's comforting to, to look at this world and all the mess, the injustice, the, the murder, the rape, the genocide, the corruption, you name it, and see that there's a God who cares, a God who's going to right all wrongs. One of the reasons why I think we can be confident that there is a God is because we instinctively all have this sense of right and wrong, of justice and injustice. And God is the God who cares about these things. It's also freeing. It's so freeing to know that I don't have to be the one that's going to settle the score. You don't have to be the one that has to right the wrongs. There's a God who has that all covered for you. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. So trust Him. Look to Him. Cry out to Him. Well, as we finish, I hope you've seen the foolishness of Nabal in his wealth, in his arrogance, in his laziness, in his disrespect of God's servant. I hope you've seen the wisdom of Abigail, her intelligence, her beauty, leading David from harm and wickedness. But actually, Abigail is not the hero of the story because Abigail points us to Jesus. Jesus is the greater Abigail. See, Abigail saves her husband from harm, doesn't she? And Jesus saves us from harm, sin and judgment. Abigail trusted God to bring the vengeance. And Jesus, when he suffered on that cross, he didn't retaliate. When he was mocked, he didn't respond. But instead, 1 Peter chapter 2, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Abigail took her husband's sins on her shoulders and asked for forgiveness. Jesus, our great high priest, takes your sin and my sin on his shoulders at the cross. And Abigail acts and offers up gifts and sacrifices to turn aside David's anger so that the household of Nabal will be saved. And Jesus on that cross makes the perfect sacrifice once for all, lays down his life for you and I to turn aside the wrath of God so we could be forgiven. Abigail is a hero, but she points us to Christ, the greater Abigail. And he's the one we love. He's the one we serve. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the testimony of Abigail, for her life, her faith, her trust, her confidence, her courage and humility. Help us to be like Abigail, but even more so, help us to look to Jesus. Lord, in Jesus, you have saved us, rescued us, 
in Jesus we see how you work all things together for our good. Lord, would you help us to follow Jesus? Lead us away from sin and error. Place people in our paths to lead us on the path of righteousness. And we pray, Father, that we would honour you this week in all that we say and all we do. In Jesus' name we pray.